Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 293, I believe, of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back in business. We're back in the loving arms of Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. Want to yeah. say a huge thank you to Sonic Architect David Tapley. He did such a good job that he might be back next week, perhaps. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, Craig Fitzpatrick, you're here. What's the story? Hello. Man? How are you? I'm here, man. We said just before we started recording, quite unironically um, and wholesomely, let's have a fun show. I've just been served an ad on Facebook. I don't, don't ask me why I open Facebook, but it's quite, you know, on Corian. It's from Memo. Have you heard of Memo? No. Okay, so I think they're basically like cam- Cameo. You know that service where like celebrities <laughs> do like personalized video messages? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm so I've got an ad. It's like a carousel of all the talent on Memo, which popped up, popped up on my screen. And the headline on one of them is Book Duncan James with just the price underneath and nothing else. And his face looks so sad. Do you want to guess how much it is to book Duncan James for a, a video message? This is the guy who used to be in blue, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, How much it is to book him for a video message? And like, is there a time limit attached to that message? Do you have to like make it in two minutes or something? Um. I'm not sure, to be honest. I'd say it's your standard issue, 30 seconds to a minute. Can you give me the currency here? Euros or pen sterling? Sorry, sterling, yeah. I've been served sterling, so they're not doing their... Height of their popularity in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, maybe at a push. (laughs) I know he recently did like a campaign for like a fucking orange juice or something when I was... uh, I remember seeing it getting a press release about that a few years ago. I'm going to guess that it will cost you 100 British pens to book Duncan James (laughs) for a cameo. 
60 pounds. Okay, okay. 40 quid lower. Well, that's <laughs> it's pandemic. not too bad. You know, I mean, everyone's kind of had to, you know, lower their expectations and their prices, I suppose. Now, hold on. You can you can also get Lee Lashford Evans. Oh, from Steps. And Totally yeah. Boy Band. Now, over or under, what's your reckon? It's a different price. 45 British pounds. Yes, exactly. Oh! 45 British pounds. I'm so good at quizzes. What can I say? A, f- a five or more expensive than Neil Razor Ruddock. <laughs> Uh, oh my you God. know that we're going to have to do this now. The, 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 our patrons will demand it. They'll be like, what are you spending our money on, guys? And of course, if you want to spend your money oh, to help us get it as a celebrity cameo, nice. it's patreon.com slash noencore. Uh, we are supposed to be recording an episode of No Oxcord soon. I do apologize sincerely for the delay. It, it's coming. It absolutely is. Uh, we've just been up the walls and I'm also working this yeah. weekend. So what are you going to do? Uh, it'll happen, though. No Oxcord is coming. And the, the annoying thing about our monthly recommends no, uh, corner No Oxcord not being prepared just yet is that like I've had mine locked and loaded in the bank I've had all my selections set aside there's no last minute chicanery this time I'm ready to go but it will take a little I've, bit I've longer. I've got three, I think. But yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. And it'll be great. It will be great, yeah. Is. And also, Patreon, enjoy those ones. Uh, patreon.com slash noencore, you can get Craig's Kanye West playlist, his Donda cutdown. I put it out during the week without Craig's knowledge, yeah. but I assume I was okay to do that. So, Prima Donda. Prima Donda. <laughs> Did you like that name? Yeah. <laughs> it's very good. I've been working on a different chop that's slightly longer and has more thematic resonance, but um, I think a lot of people will just want the 10 tracks. <laughs> okay. Um, thematic or atmospheric <laughs> Including you. Okay, let's just move on. I'm just distracted, Craig, because like I've got my window open. I don't usually do that. Um, Adam has assured me it's okay to do this, by the way, listener, but there are loud children shouting in the street. It's just very, very warm. I may close it if I feel like it's getting too much, but you know, for now... If you hear kids screaming in the background, it's nothing to do with me. They just happen to be in the vicinity of the general area in which I live. So, on this show, this week, this time, we will be reviewing the new album from Drake. I don't think we'll be devoting an entire episode to it, unlike, or rather, like the Kanye West review last week, which we got very nice feedback on, by the way, particularly David Tapley's outrageous intro, which everyone seems to be quite taken with. So incredible. Very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, Drake is being reviewed this week, certified lover boy, and we will be doing, I guess, directly inspired by him, top five artists we don't get, top five artists we don't understand. Possible spoiler for the review? <laughs> That's a fair assumption for the review, but we don't know. We haven't got there yet. It's fine. Um, no, we don't. Also, Maybe it all clicked. Yeah, some further housekeeping, house plants. Dahi and Paul Noonan's new project, who launched their debut record, Dry Goods, next Friday. It's the 17th of September. Uh, I will be chatting to the guys next week for a future No Encore episode scheduled to drop the week after. If you're not on the house plans train just yet, there's plenty of room on board. Dahi is, of course, a friend of ours, but the music is very, very good. And I'm very much looking forward to chatting with Dahi and Paul Noonan about the project over the coming days. And I think that's all the housekeeping that we have, Craig. So unless you've got anything before we get going... Um, yeah, I have, um, what do I have? I have Matt Letissier. Right. That you can book in studio. on Memo. No, he, Give me a price. He, he's had a bad week. He's cancelled now, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I would say because, you know, like if you were to look at the good times of Matt Letissier, he was um, an elegant footballer, uh, thus he could probably yes. command a high purse. I would say 75 of your finest British pounds. Now, maybe recent controversy has scuppered his um, fee because it's £30. <laughs> oh, oh, his market value has <laughs> crashed. Yeah, the same as, and I will end with, Jeff from Peep Show. I guess it's just the character rather than the actor. And the same price as Garrett Keenan, lookalike. Not Mackenzie Crook, a lookalike. Okay. And that ends the memo section. 
Thanks. Appreciated. Um, we will now move into the news section and we'll start it in a slightly different way than usual. Kanye West's usual kind of buoyant intro. Uh, we're going to do something different because a very, very sad story to start the news. No other way around it, but we wanted to kind of intro it in the best way possible. So take it away. standout vocal performance there of Sarah Harding of Girls Aloud. Sarah Harding passed away at the weekend. The news broke on Sunday afternoon. She passed away from breast cancer at the age of 39. And I picked that clip there, which Craig himself had put out on Twitter um, mm. around the time of the news breaking. Um, you, you may have heard a car horn go off in that clip there. And the reason for that is it's taken from the music video itself, which has now taken on a weird kind of new, I guess, gravitas to it because that moment in the video, it's when Sarah Harding kind of gets her moment to shine. And you get like yeah. this, you get this cutaway reaction shot of Cheryl Cole looking awestruck, like she's seeing something she's never seen before. And you get Kimberly Walsh in a car with the biggest smile on her face. And she's like honking the horn in appreciation at Sarah's big moment. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I found um, watching that video on Sunday and I found today just before the show even cutting the clip um, and putting this kind of just taking the Guardian's write-up of like the news when it broke on Sunday afternoon uh, it hit me really fucking hard man um, yeah. I, I found it to be very very emotional I, I feel like everyone knows the, the, the details of the story by now she had been ill for some time and I think that there had been a recent update not too long ago that indicated that it wasn't looking very good but nonetheless I mean I think and like it <sighs> It shouldn't matter, you know, if what mark someone has left on the world or, you know, like no young death from an illness is fair or right or justified or whatever. But like, I just felt really, really sorry and sad because Sarah Harding seemed to be uh, like in many ways the life and soul of that group and just this kind of very charismatic character someone who was kind of known for their robust personality and you know I, like I think that group just doesn't get the respect it deserves and it's been simultaneously heartbreaking and kind of I suppose life-affirming to see people rallying around Girls Loud this week and just kind of hailing them as the amazing pop act that we know that they are but a story like this one just it really unfortunately does knock you out and I know that it, it kind of hit you pretty hard too man. Yeah, that song in particular, I absolutely adore. I think it's one of the best pop songs of the century. She completely steals the show and she had lots of great moments. She she was a great vocalist, but as you say, it was that kind of like infectious enthusiasm, the energy. She felt like the life force of the band. I think the members said the same. She really kind of carried them through and made them something different, which they totally were. And yeah, it's weird that recently on the show, we just had an impromptu kind of uh, midsection run through of the discography of Girls Aloud and we're just like literally going through each single going, that was a banger. That was a banger. They do not get their credit. And um, we discussed on Sunday when we were both very shook up about it, um, even though we kind of knew it was coming. It was just given the personality of her, it seemed surreal. Um, and something that was t totally unbelievable. But we had, we batted around an idea of like, will we do our top five Girls Aloud songs? And we thought, okay, maybe it's not the time to kind of do that. But I think it says a lot about how the esteem we hold that group in, in terms of their musical output, um, that we instantly go back to the songs and certainly listening to The Promise and that clip 
uh, lightened my day and made things a bit easier uh, when the news broke, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's there's, like it's it's just it's just genuinely really, really upsetting. Um, uh, Nicola Roberts on her Instagram, I think she said, like, electric girl, you made us. And she said, like, um, I saw like a white butterfly go by my window this morning before I knew. And um, I, I, I guess that was you being there. And I just yeah, it's just I, I just find it really like there's no wonderful profound statement you can make apart from that like she seemed like a like an incredible person I mean like there's been I know the Guardian also Simon Tacey wrote an obituary that seemed to focus on the negative aspects of her life and she did have struggles there's no question she kind of wrote an autobiography I think about a year ago which kind of tapped into that and was very unvarnished um but she seemed to just have this force just this kind of vibrant personality and I mean I think for you know I, I think yeah the girls led thing that Craig refers to as well is when we did our top five heatwave anthems episode in yes, at the yeah. end of July I picked Long Hot Summer and we yeah we, we got into this very fun on the spot going I think I think we went through like all of their singles or something because like their singles like it's it's such a fucking bulletproof career I mean like I, I put it up on Twitter and I said like you know as a singles group, as a pop group or whatever, uh, they should be in the conversation with Blondie and the Beatles and, and, and anyone. I know there's probably some Beatles fans being like, that's just Dave being Dave and he hates the Beatles. But it's like, honestly, no. I mean, I, I really do think that Girls Led, they were just, they, they were this strange kind of constant presence, I think, during the 2000s in particular. And I mean, they came from this terrible reality show, but they outgrew it quickly. And sure, look, they're a commercial totally. pop act and they worked with Xenomania and they worked with whoever. And I don't care if Sarah Harden didn't write the songs, she performed them. And she met the challenging tasks of an industry that treats women in particular in a very harsh way. Um, and I think that, you know, they were a group that gave joy to an awful lot of people. Um, weirdly enough, they're a strange touchstone for me in a way because like... Like I associate them with, um, I've said before in the show that when I was a teenager, I um, I was in a psychiatric hospital for a little bit and no good advice was out at the time. And mm. I remember just being in this games room one day and just feeling incredibly alone and lost. And there was no one there really my age and anyone who was there my age, I wasn't connecting to them. I remember being in this just really fucking pathetic, drab, nothing barren games room where they didn't even have, you know, the, the right amount of snooker balls or whatever. Like it was just depressing ironically enough and I just remember hearing no good advice come on the radio and it kind of just took me out of the situation for a second and it's kind of provided the escapism that I needed at that moment and I've always remembered that I've also simultaneously remembered watching um Justin Timberlake's video for oh, Rock Your Body and thinking that was terrible. So they won that kind of weird, very niche shootout in my mind at the time. Um, and then like when I was working in ExtraVision, like, you know, I think we, we'd play like their live DVD or something and you'd, you'd play the stuff in the shop because it was, you know, stuff you could play suitable for working in a major department store or whatever. So they've always just kind of been there. And I, I think when I, like when I went to college, I think that their career was kind of wrapping up a little bit and I was still kind of clinging to some of the last songs. They weren't getting as much love as others. It's like it never really occurred to me to go see them live. I would never have necessarily called myself a fan, but I do think that they're one of the most important pop acts of the last kind of twenty years. And they they don't make them like that anymore, even though that they, even though they were completely manufactured. And I think a lot of that comes down to the five women involved. And Sarah Harding was absolutely, without question, a huge, huge part of that. Yeah, they were at a weird moment in, actually not really weird, a brilliant kind of interesting moment in pop where it started to gain some critical acclaim again and like kind of boundaries were being kicked down. And uh, Brian Higgins, I think from uh, Xenomania, was talking about her and just how 
at award shows when they'd be kind of mingling with other genres and other acts and stuff like all the indie bands just loved Sarah in terms of like she was a great laugh they'd talk about collaborations they you know she inspired the Arctic Monkeys to cover Girls Aloud and there was all this kind of cross-pollination in terms of musical ideas which Girls Aloud totally had in spades in their music and I think they were one of the major forces making kind of pop music creditable uh, in that kind of that sense of like, it's not just fluff, it's not just throwaway, and it's even more remarkable that, as you say, they were totally manufactured. They came from such a kind of bullshit starting point that they really just then became their own force of nature, and that's what she was. And yeah, amazing career. Really, really sad news. Yeah, and I guess in closing as well, kind of echoing what you're saying, like I think that, I think a lot of those girls-led songs kind of helped me be less snobby about pop music as well. I think I definitely was that guy for a time. And certainly during their career, I would have been that guy. It took me kind of a while to kind of cop on and be like, wait a minute, this is as good as anything I've heard by anybody. It doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't matter how it's packaged or sold. They sold it. Like they, they, they were likable. They were rootable. It didn't, it was a cynical product to begin with, but it didn't feel that way. And I think that's because they just kind of felt relatable or something. So... Yeah, I mean, look, fuck cancer. I mean, there's just no other way of saying it. I mean, like, it's it really hit home as well. Uh, like, someone close to me I w- went through a very similar thing just as recently as this year, and I know how fucking scared I was uh, when I was dealing with that news. And like, it might not even be fair to like make such a comparison at all, but it just really fucking hit me. Um, I think it's deeply unfair, tragically sad, and. The tributes are continuing to pour in as they should, but we'll, we'll move on to a different story. Um, maybe, maybe a lighter story, Craig, you can tell me. We obviously spent the last episode um, really kind of mining our, our real-time thoughts about Donda. Um, I don't know mm. if, if, if we'll ever have a definitive verdict, but would the album have been better if your beloved, and I guess everyone's beloved, Andre 3000 was on there? Because apparently he was supposed to be, it didn't happen, but it's all come out in the wash this week, Craig, what's happening? Yeah, it's poor Andre 3000 has been caught in the middle of a beef, a hip-hop beef between Kanye and Drake, which just continues to kind of bore me to tears at this point. And we'll we'll talk about um, Drake's new album, which features quite a, a lot of that kind of chat later. But um, Andre was due to feature on Donda. And I've heard the track Life of the Party. Have you heard it, Dave? I heard it briefly, but I'm I'm, okay. I'm in that mode where it's like, if it's not on the album, we already have a lot on there. I don't know I don't if I can go down like the deleted scenes route here of the DVD, you know? It is, I will say it is quite great. Um, slightly unfinished, you'll be shocked to hear. But um, the reason, Dave, that we have the opportunity to listen to this on, on YouTube and it's kind of rough uh, version is because Drake was feeling generous and he shared it during his Sirius XM broadcast last Friday, um, celebrating his own album coming out. He did his usual serious thing where he plays new tracks and just kind of gets on the mic and gets everyone hype for his release day. And he made the... Very interesting chess move in this beef of playing Life of the Party, which contains Andre 3000 doing a really nice tribute to Donda, uh, Kanye West's late mother, and his own late mother. Uh, a really heartfelt, great <laughs> Andre 3000 verse. And then Kanye doing something similar, but then also getting in shots at Drake, uh, getting in disc bars, making it a diss track. Um so I don't know what Drake was trying to do. He's like, here's, I'm, I'm releasing this Kanye 
diss track with Andre 3000 on it. And then he played his own diss track, 7am on Bridal Path after it, which I don't think is quite as good, spoiler alert. It just seemed like a weird move from him. <laughs> He's just like, listen to these, to these two absolute legends make quality music together that I have nothing to do with. Can you understand that move, Dave? It, Am I? <laughs> He's always a few steps ahead, is Drake, so maybe something else is going on. Yeah, it's classic mind games here. I mean, we saw how well he, 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 he battled Pusha T that time, so no, it's absolutely baffling. <laughs> I mean, I think it was Anthony Fantano on Twitter who was like, so let me get this straight. He's like, uh, Drake leaks yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a track by County that's better than most of the tracks of his album do I have that right um, but yes Andre 3000 is essentially trying to get everyone to just give peace a chance basically uh, he's just yeah he's come out with a statement he said the reason this didn't end up on the album was um, because Donda was for all intents and purposes a gospel record which is why it's still censored and you've got rappers on it cursing but you can't hear the curses because Kanye was like no we can't do that so Andre 3000 realised this he'd cursing on his verse and he's like oh no it's a gospel record no can we take it off it's disrespectful to your late mother. Um, he had no idea about Kanye's um, bars against Drake. Um, he kind of, as you say, completely went, you know, peace to all men. I would love to work with Lil Baby, Tyler and Jay-Z, uh, Kendrick. So I wanted to be on Certified Loverboy too. Um, I respect them all. Just really kind of a really thoughtful, classy statement, as you would expect from Andre 3000. I did feel bad for him because he gives us such limited verses and limited output and he's clearly stressed so much about not releasing his own solo work because he's not sure if he'd live up to the hype and then he's kind of messed around by both of them on this one so not cool guys it seems like at the moment if someone came out and was like right we can make all the money in the world Kanye West and Drake touring together it doesn't seem like the guys would be up for that but they might do it Craig if they could do it in hologram form which I think takes us nicely into you have an update for us about this whole ABBA comeback don't you? I do, yeah. Um, the major update for people that listened last week is that apparently they're not holograms. That was my misinformation that I, I put out there. It's a digital, let me get this right, it's going to be a digital version of ABBA performing. Not holograms, it says in brackets in this CNN story I've got. So I've gone to CNN, who never lie. Um, and they're going to be performing, quote unquote, alongside a Tempe's actual live band. The other update is that James Wrighton, Founding keyboardist of new rave pioneers, Claxons, like led the charge in terms of bringing together this 10-piece reunion band for ABBA, which is just like, we do not hear a huge amount about this guy anymore. He's, he's the one married to Kieran Knightley, right? I think I've got that correct. I think you're correct. Also, his name written down looks like he hosts like a right-wing podcast or something. James Rideon. James Rideon. James yeah. Rideon. Oh, James Rideon. I'm going I'm to look this up for for you right now. By the way, I, I, the uh, the non holograms are called avatars, digital avatars, avatars. Oh, I like that. Some I do like that. Adam, is, Adam is putting his head in his hands. Uh, <laughs> typing in Kieran Knightley. would have loved that. Typing, <laughs> typing Kieran Knightley into Wikipedia on my phone here while I'm trying to podcast is actually quite difficult. Yes, it is in fact James Wrighton. They've been married since 2013. So that's a happy marriage. They have, yeah. They've, yeah. Um, no kids so, though. <laughs> okay, that was quite oh, no, pointed. Sorry, I, I'm incorrect. They have two children. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Are they in this band? Um, yeah, so I wonder, does that like, 
I don't want to be cynical, but does that open certain doors for James Wrighton? All I'm saying is that I imagine he was a plus one at some like Monaco or Cannes shindig with Kira and he bumped into like Benny or Bjorn and they got chatting and they're like, oh, you're that new rave guy, which everyone is currently listening to, right? You're at the cutting edge. Can you help us? And he was like, sure. Um, so he's opened up about getting the band together. He said, I had an incredible slash fun, slash magical, slash surreal time helping Benny and Bjorn find the 10-piece band for the reunion. I can safely say that the musicians chosen and the band that had been formed is the best group of musicians I've ever heard wow. play together in a room. And he's heard Claxons. He's been right there. <laughs> I mean, Golden Scans, man. Yeah, come on. There is, oh, that's a great track. There is serious chemistry and vibe. And yes, as we previously reported, we're getting a new album, Voyage. Uh, it's out November 5th. Uh, two singles have dropped. Have you heard them, Dave? I've given them a solitary listen each. No. Um, I, maybe it's one to say for no ox chord, or maybe not. No, I'm, I'm going to wait for the album. Um, I also... Good, okay. Yeah, I was listening back to the show last week, and I think I, I sounded very dismissive of ABBA. I said I have no interest in this whatsoever. And then I thought about that statement, and I was like, well, that makes it sound like I'm like I'm, I'm anti-ABBA, which I'm, I'm not. I just don't fully get it. They're not in my top five today, though. There's an early spoiler for you. Um, oh. I, they're, 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 they're grand, yeah. Like, like, if ABBA's on, grand, yeah, cool. But I'm never gonna put them on do you know what i mean is that kind of that kind, that kind of thing yeah i get you um i would occasionally put them on and i'm not really hugely excited just because it's been so long i mean it would be such a big ask for them to live up to their high standards um i have to say i know people were losing their minds kind of you know about the new songs online <laughs> And I totally appreciate that people are seeing this as a moment of like, the world's getting back to normal and like things are going to be okay. And ABBA, which I, you know, is very nice and I'm glad people are having that reaction. But I was kind of underwhelmed by the songs. Kind of sounded like cruise ship music. I don't it know. is called Voyage, um, man. It feels, yeah, it feels like, it totally is. It feels like Zachary saying that. Uh, I'm glad they've got back together because, I mean, you know, they obviously had a huge personal relationships and it's great that all of that seems good although they are doing motion capture work so they don't have to appear on stage together so i don't know <laughs> but um yeah more curious than really hyped we'll see how it goes would you go to the show this digital version does it interest uh, you at all I, knowing they're not holograms i mean the world needs music i suppose um yeah why not i mean like on, only in my previous guise as someone who was able to go to gigs for free i'm not paying fucking free, yeah. 100 quid or whatever it is they're paying what well, they're paying five dates in for, england i think and everyone's very happy to get tickets for and you know post pandemic this is a can't miss thing unless of course the avatars just fail and don't work properly but that's technology and if it's it's if it's not holograms it's just them on a screen with a band then surely right i can't they, think are, of other are they dressed up in the are motion they going into other dimensions the screen like is this i don't know I, i'm more excited no, i think it's i'm more excited about the matrix resurrections stuff, is, by the way which the trailer for the fourth matrix are abba in that? no i don't think imagine so. abba soundtracked the entire thing that would be phenomenal Did you see the trailer it was out today uh white rabbit by jefferson airplane was on the trailer because we're not going for any kind of of course yeah it looks of course no i saw the i saw the pre-trailer where it told you the actual time as you watched it and i was like mind blown <laughs> i'll check out the trailer after the pod but yeah that should be fun um i wanted to pull you up on something there because you, you took a bit of a dig at, at james right in there you're implying that he couldn't possibly have some kind of highfalutin social life without without care not by his side are you saying uh, that yeah. you that you would rather him be confined exclusively to say uh, a late night music comedy panel show like is that where he belongs for you i don't know if there's any of those around not anymore specifically about music yeah. anyway uh 
Unless oh, hang on. you have Sky TV later this year wow. when never mind the Buzzcocks will make the return. I don't think we talked about this when it was announced in July. Well, can I? Um, can, can, I was a viewer. Can I make a confession? I, a, I don't think I knew that on. the show was no longer on the air. I don't watch TV really? anymore. Like. It did kind of just seem to peter out, didn't it? I guess, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it just caught my attention because Bill Bailey said he wasn't invited to return. Uh, I think he was one of the hosts when it wrapped up quietly. I actually, I do remember the BBC being like, listen, music's dead. We've got to create new space for new entertainment formats. It's gone. I think it's been gone six years now at this point. Um, So Bill Bailey was like pretty amiable about it. He's like, I guess they want a new intake. I don't mind. I did more than a hundred shows. So I think I got my fix of Buzzcocks. Um, Greg Davies is going to be the the hosts that are not doing that revolving host thing, which is probably wise because you want to establish some kind of identity. Um, they've got, yeah, they've, they're doing a full reboot. They've got some whippersnappers. They've got this country star, Daisy Mae Cooper, who I don't believe I know. Do you? No, not a clue. Okay. And they have Noel Fielding. Yeah, he's back. He, was, <laughs> he was there. So like right at the cutting edge of all weird, musical though, trends, like host, new rave. But if one host gets the call and one host doesn't, yes, that's yeah, a bit strange. Yeah. I do think that they should have brought back either Mark Lamar or Simon Amstel. No disrespect to Greg 100%. Davies, who I'm sure is hilarious, yeah. but you know, it's just like, really? Like if you're going to fucking do it, but yeah, also, it just sounds, do, like, do these things ever work, Greg? Do they? The magic was there. And it's going to be on Sky, like when it's on BBC, it feels like there's going to be more eyeballs on it. I think there's like, it's a limited enough run as well. So it won't have that. It felt like when you watched the old Buzzcocks, it was pretty current. And, you know, our musical tastes were probably more, we weren't just pigeonholed and tribalised. And it just feels like this isn't going to capture any kind of zeitgeist to, I don't know paraphrase Billy Corgan well <laughs> the Smashing Pumpkins reformed nice, when this show was cancelled nicely done yeah. um, well I mean one thing that did capture the zeitgeist this summer Craig you've had updates for us every step of the way and I guess the inevitable has finally happened for poor little Uzi Vert can you please tell us a graphic and painful story this is another CNN grab so thank you um, and they've opened with um, a cautionary line. This story might make you wince for several reasons. Now, Lil Uzi Vert, um, we've talked about his diamond, uh, his jewel embedded in his forehead. Pink Diamond reportedly worth $24 million. Our last update was that he was claiming that it was causing him pain and causing him to bleed from his head. So he'd probably have to stop wearing it. Um, I believe the, was the manufacturer or the jewelers came out and said, listen, this should be absolutely fine. It's like any other piercing. Just take care of it. It's, it's um, not like not any us, other buddy. piercing. Let, let, let's just, you know, any, <laughs> it's a very special any lawsuit that may stem from this, that's your opening statement. This is not like any other piercing. If you start messing with your third eye, you know, the chakras, it's just a recipe for disaster. Also a recipe for disaster is what he was getting up to with this uh, jewel. So he was talking to TMZ, <laughs> CNN now grabbing from TMZ, <laughs> um, about uh, what he's been up to. And he, he's quoted as saying, I had a show at Rolling Loud and I jumped into the crowd and they kind of ripped it out. So he had an incident apparently where he was in the crowd, someone got a hold of it pulled it from his head and he then reassures TMZ that he's feeling good. He still has the diamond. I want more information on this story, Dave. I I, I want to know how he got it back. I want to know who the person that grabbed it was. I just wish it was their footage. What's going on? This was probably a wake-up call for him that, listen, I can't be doing this when I'm in performance mode, which is probably wise. Um, 
but yeah, that's the diamond update. He's been ragging on Kanye West and Donda as well this week, by the way. So I don't know if we've total sympathy for him. Oh, so he deserved it is what you're saying. Fair enough. I was about to condemn the actions of whatever reveler got uh, at a hand. Like, we <laughs> oh, we certainly can join you in condemning we don't that reveler's that. actions. You know, it's no, like, I mean, don't. And like, sorry, this myth, by the way, this absolute fucking myth that people have had about, oh, listen, gigs are coming back, man. It's going to be Zen. It's going to be the most safe, loving environment of all time. I'm like, I can guarantee you now. I saw fucking Swimmers Jackson there on Twitter just last night yeah. being like, I went to see Arab Strap and people were having full-blown obnoxious. conversations and being incredibly loud and obnoxious. And I'm like, oh, great. That's what we're going back to. Hate to break it to you guys. Now, people suck. <laughs> Yeah, and some people are claiming, you know, this is actually going to make people worse because they feel doubly entitled now of all the kind of great fun they missed out on. I will say, though, I, I believe he was at a London show. <laughs> I'm not, you know, not stereotyping, but isn't aren't London crowds kind of, you know, infamous for being not the most compassionate, observant audiences, right? Probably. Maybe Dublin would be a bit better. Yeah. I'm probably asking for a lot. I think you're asking for a lot, yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, like I'd say like 90% of the shows I've seen have been in Dublin and, you know, you put enough people in a room, you get bricks. That's just how it goes. Uh, so Lil Izzy Vert, I don't think, is on the Drake album. Am I right in saying that? There's a lot of features on here. Um, I checked and he didn't make it. He is. He did do a track with Drake that is currently unreleased. Um, <laughs> and I feel like maybe he did something with Kanye that is now unreleased if he's taking shots of Kanye. So... He's going through it at the moment. We're, you know. Well, I tell you, we all went through it this week. With, we certainly did, with fucking, Dave. With certified <laughs> lover boy over here. 21 tracks, Drake, sixth album. Sounds a bit like this. And brace yourself, listener. I picked out a choice lyric, just in case you haven't heard it yet. Enjoy. Oh. <laughs> I might come, I might go, I don't know. I don't know. I might come, I might go, I don't know. Staying at your dress cause it's see-through Yeah, talking all the shit that you done been through Yeah, say that you a lesbian, girl, me too Whoa, Drake, Aubrey, Drake, Graham, what are you talking about? It's Certified Loverboy, Craig, uh, take it away <laughs> what an intro, <laughs> like humour that you might use back when you were like in secondary school. I thought it was hilarious and kind of more unenlightened times. Um, Aubrey, Drake Graham, yes, as you said, the six got himself, Drizzy, Toronto's finest, um, former teen drama star uh, turned, I guess, leading light of hip hop, right? Oh, sorry, Commercially, the, at least, like you can... Degrassi Junior High, was it, I believe? Degrassi, yeah, yeah. yeah. He got shot, didn't he? Didn't he get gunned down? And I, I didn't watch there, it. It's not a meme now where he's like, he's shot in... I think that's Craig, a meme you know now. that my... There's a lot of memes swimming around in the world of Drake, You know right? that my like mid to late 2000s teen angst was solely confined to the halls of One Tree Hill, so alas. Yeah, well, listen, I was I was in the OC, but I, I checked out some Degrassi clips. Um, <laughs> but Drake, yeah, he's obviously moved on from all of that because he's probably the biggest artist in the world. Um, he's been dominant for over a decade. Um Music career kind of kicked off getting signed to Lil Wayne's Young Money label. Um, it was in the wake of Kanye's 808s, I guess, showing you you could kind of sprinkle some um, emo R&B into your hip hop, get a little sensitive with the content and Drake kind of ran with it. And you'd have to say he's kind of mastered this art of like trading high level bars in the verses and then kind of sweetly, sadly crooning the hooks himself. Like he's that pretty good line of, you know, it's, it's Drake featuring Drake. And it's meant that he's had a huge amount of hits and pop smashes and 
Um, you know, sometimes he'll decide he wants to give us uh, one dance and then sometimes he'll decide he's a gangster spitting some aggro like on the opening of this track. Um, but yeah, he's been, his influence is very clear, but I think his influence is also undeniable along with uh, his producer, 40, you know, they've kind of popularized that spacey, synthy, forlorn sound. Um, and yeah, this is the sixth studio album, I believe, but there's been loads of mixtapes and playlists and stuff masquerading as albums. And it's been a while since he's put something out. Scorpion was the last one. It was quite bloated. It was just another in a long list of like mammoth play- playlists or whatever you want to, you know, call it. Um, he had promised us um, things were going to get a bit tighter this time out. And I think it's maybe four to five minutes shorter than Scorpion, which is fair play. <laughs> um, wow, progress. There is a lot of, there's a lot of features on this. Um, certified lover boy, my word. Uh, it's suggested, I think from the title and the awful Damien Hurst uh, cover art that maybe it would be pure R&B, um, where he could maybe reckon with his like long-standing bachelor Lothario thing, as he's kind of, I guess, maybe doing on that clip we heard. You know, Marvin's room becomes Marvin's mansion. But now it's kind of everything you expect of him in terms of it's Drake soup. It's just pouring in elements of all the albums, giving people what they expect. What a lot of people clearly want. Is that a good or a bad thing, Dave? Is it what you wanted? How'd you get on? Uh, I feel really bad for listeners who are fans of Drake because obviously we did spend last week pouring over Donda for... 55 minutes I think in total was the review and I'm sorry I, I don't have it in me this week for Drake I just don't and like you know it maybe calls into question our kind of selection process as well because was I ever gonna like this you know like like we didn't do the Lord album because I figured I wouldn't like that you know so here's Drake uh same time you make a good point he's one of the biggest artists in the world I was actually looking up the Spotify statistics um I think Justin Bieber has him well beat though. Like Bieber's on like 80 plus million. Drake is on like 50 plus million. The weekend's ahead of him. Sharon's ahead of him. But he's up there for sure. He's massive. He's fucking huge. There's no question of it. And yeah, hearing that audio clip there, which is just his incredible attempt to uh, understand the, uh, the, 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 the sexual proclivities and desires and the, the general overall psyche of a woman who might not be attracted to a man and getting it elegantly wrong in that Drake way. I mean, it's just, it's beyond parody. Like, it's genuinely beyond parody. And like, like that line is just like, you just roll your eyes and laugh at it because you're like, I can't take this seriously. Um, I guess, like, it's immaculately produced, it seems to be, that people mm. are very happy with how this thing physically sounds. Uh, it's bloated as fuck. I listened to it like half seven on Friday morning because I'm insane when it came out and I got to the second last track and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I find it so hard to distinguish him. Uh, It is wallpaper for me. I'm genuinely baffled at what the appeal is beyond the surface level. I mean, and I got a confession here because it's like back in college, 10 fucking years ago, I kind of liked him. Not like in any kind of wholesale crazy way, but like, you know, I, I thought best I ever had was kind of a hilariously, you know, dark, potentially misogynistic song that I thought was had a certain level of kind of venom to it. Um, Forever and the Travis Barker remix that would follow is great crack. Like there was, you know, obviously look, it took me a while to kind of finally admit it, but Hold On, We're Going Home is a pretty incredible song. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's genuinely excellent. But but that sound's gone, right? I mean, like like, like a song, like, there's nothing on here. I mean, maybe the opening track, it, it, it begins okay, it ends kind of well, but everything in between, fuck me. 
uh, like there's a there's a right said Fred feature. There's yet another Jay Z <laughs> verse that we can probably forget about. Um, it's just it, it, right said Fred feature. Oh my god! It just feels like content, man. It, like it, like this is just content, and and that's and it genuinely is just like okay, Drake's obsessed with um, you know it's you know champagne from my real friends, uh, real pain from my sham friends. It's just you know heavy lies the crown. All these people are you know my enemies. Uh, got a lot of enemies, as he said before. That's at least you could say the views and Scorpion had the odd standout track what's here i'm not hearing anything really yeah um i could probably be a bit more charitable to drake in terms of i had a soft spot for some of his stuff i appreciate <laughs> sorry can I, just, um, can I, just, I just looked over the track what? list right i just literally just looked at the track yeah. list track 12 no friends in the industry <laughs> yeah meanwhile look at all the features <laughs> He's literally everyone except for Kanye and Bushia on this. He's got King Cudi on this. I know, I was so disappointed. <laughs> They're on the outs for, oh, yeah, at least Cudi's getting a paycheck. Yeah, I fair. mean, I don't care. If, you know, Cudi's okay with it, I'm fine with it. By the way, no chemistry between the two of them. <laughs> no. And same goes for a lot of these features. Like, whatever you say, we want to say about Donda, like, people really brought it on that album and they were tapped it. You had, like, Playboy Carty, like, rapping about spirituality. And they felt like they were, you know, opening up about themselves and contributing to the themes like, you know, even if Donda wasn't a masterpiece, it felt like people were working towards appearing on a masterpiece. Whereas people here just pop up, it feels like they're contributing to, you know, rap caviar playlist. It's just another feature. It's just another paycheck. And I think Drake knows it. And yeah, like I, I a month or so ago, I went back to um some of Forty's stuff because I think, I think he's been quite important and I think he's done some immaculate work. And he again is executive producer of this as he always is. I think maybe they dropped a ball in terms of it just being very samey, as you said, and nondescript. Um, But it is lush. Um, There is kind of stuff to cling on to. Um, But overall, it's just, as you said, like from from the cover on, it's just like, here's more memeable moments. Here's more stuff to get people talking online. It feels like the album is just one part of like the quarter four marketing strategy for Drake. Do you know what I mean? 21 songs, just throw it out. Like that opening brace, um, Champagne Poetry, and... (laughs) Which has, I thought was Michelle by the Beatles, which was like, would be the ultimate Drake flex where it's like, I've got the Beatles and I've actually got more hits than them now. And, but it's actually a, like a straight lift from a, a, re, a 2017 rework of it, which kind of like feels symbolic of just like Drake promising a lot, aligning himself with the greats. And then there's the hallmarks of greatness there and you get into it and there's kind of this emptiness and it's like facsimiles of facsimiles and it's well, like it's well executed, but it's never quite the real thing. Um... Poppy's home being cut too. Like <laughs> he's got he's got his full Instagram handle there and like champagne poppy. And I'm just like, this is what is influencing him. His fucking Instagram content, as he said. It's just content. It's Drake imitating Drake. He's running on exhaust fumes. And I, like I was as I was listening through it, there were certain bars. I do think he and now we don't know how many ghostwriters he actually has, but I do think he comes up with some decent verses and I do think he's quite smart and he comes off with some great lines. Um, like I like, I kind of like the fact he can be talking one minute about like Kashmir knits and then talking about having an AK-47 <laughs> and the stuff of like, it's the pretty boys versus the petty boys. It's just so like fuckboyish. I'm like, he does it quite well. But overall, yeah, he's got, there's no evolution here. I've heard... Um, 
this Drake album four or five times and I think I only liked it once and it was Take Care. It was a decade ago when you were probably into him, when he was actually doing something a bit new. But now it's like, he should be really thankful for the Pusha T and Kanye stuff because he's clearly obsessed with it, right? In a way that I know Kanye has his moments, but like Donda doesn't refer to any of the, you know, Drake stuff. It's more universal evergreen themes, whereas so much of this album is like, subliminal shots still at good music and it's going to date really quickly even that final track which is like his his usual classy like you know um taking a moment to remember when me and my mom were like <laughs> bubble wrapping cds but he's then straight into like calling like kanye a bitch and like it's just you're still harping on about this thing when you you ducked pusha t He's protesting way too much. Like, I think the opening track where he's just like, you know, I've had worse done to me. It's like, um, your music's getting all watered down. What's the line? I think I, I picked it out. Oh, yeah. Then that's towards the end when he's got, talking about Kanye being like a father figure to him. But now daddy's not around. So I'm a <laughs> bastard. Um, but at the opening, he's going on about like... <sighs> Just this is no thing. I'm as happy as I have ever been. But when they're in like those lines are in the first verse of your album, you're bringing it up for a reason. It's clearly bothering you. Or maybe you just think it's going to, you know, coax more streams out of this thing. Yeah, there's some good beats. I like um, just to kind of give a balanced account. You only live twice. There's a lot of energy to that. He seems looser because you've got Rick Ross being great in it. You've got Lil Wayne just doing probably a verse off the top of his head and then he's gone and you're like, Lil Wayne, don't leave me. I want to go with you and listen to a Lil Wayne album. Um, You know, No Friends in the Industry has a good beat, but again, he's just harping on about stuff. I don't believe, I don't believe him. It feels like gaslighting R&B slash hip hop, doesn't it? Every song is like him playing a character of being, you know, downtrodden at the top of the game. It's either that or songs which are, I think he said this is like a bit about toxic masculinity and hell yeah it is. I, I Like I think this is more, there was the controversy quite rightly around the Donda release, right? But actually the content on Donda was pretty, um communal and like you know let God into your heart and let's all get together and you know have a better life and quite wholesome in that regard you know there's not even cursing on it I think this is the more toxic album and it's kind of an insidious thing from the kind of supposedly playful girls like girls or girls want girls to um what is that record on a TSU TSU where he tells the story of um, just this really cliched story now of like a stripper um, who doesn't have parents around. So he's paying for her to go through college. And it's very, very weird. <laughs> it's like there, he doesn't seem to realize at this point the kind of power dynamic thing at all, which is bizarre to me because he seems quite self aware. Is, uh, is that the one with the Or Kelly sample that they've tried to play down, but they still used one? Oh my God, is that the one? I think that might okay, be yeah, the yeah. one. Which, but, I mean, in fairness, you could, like, yeah. there's so many fucking songs here, but like, there is a track with an Or Kelly sample. Apparently it's barely even like heard in the background. It's like incredibly incidental, but at the same time it's there. And because it's there, Or Kelly has got a writing credit on this record, which means he gets some money out of it. I know 40, the producer, I think he put up an Instagram post possibly, basically like being very like, we didn't want this on here, but it's here and what are you going to do about it or something? And it was just like, 
there was, you know, there was a producer's logic to what he was saying, but it also was like, well, just don't fucking use it. Just don't include the sample. That's fine. So yeah, it's like, unfortunately, like, you know, another time with Donda is you got R. Kelly on your record, even if it's, even if it's inconsequential and it's there for two seconds, you made that decision and that's not a good decision to make. Um, the last yeah. track on this, by the way, you referenced it briefly. The last track is called The Remorse, which is the remorse. wonderful. It sounds like a fucking mid-season Game of Thrones episode title. And The Remorse, Craig, is very much what I felt having to suffer through yet another just cynical, bloated, depressing, navel-gazing, auto-fellatio Drake adventure. I've had it three out of ten, I suppose. By the way, did you see during the Ireland-Serbia game during the week, there was a Serbian player with the fucking Drake love heart thing shaved into his head exactly the same way? (laughs) Which, of course, Greg, led me to turn to my housemate and quip, serbified lover boy which I hope is okay and doesn't get me cancelled I thought it was kind of funny Adam's that's just a good wholesome thank poem you. I think that's fine yeah, I think yeah, you're yeah. fine yeah serbified yeah. lover boy uh, you know 8 out of 10 to you Dave Cheers, thanks. for that one <laughs> um, Drake will not be getting that store there's so much wrong with this um, yeah like the f- and then there's another track fucking fans which is like apparently about toxic masculinity but he's not apologising for using his fans he's apologising to the girlfriend that he was cheating on at the time anyway and there's yeah, of course like a track like Fountains which is like his one kind of nod to Afrobeat stuff which is just like there's so much occasional it's this weird unfeeling corporate music colonialism thing going on where he just hops on trends and is like there's that demographic taken care of and like Thames is very good in it um, from Lagos but he's just like he reminds me of like remember in was a Quantum of Solace where Daniel Craig just washes up on some like paradise beach and like of course just hooks up with some local girl and seems to like really be like hanging out with the local crew and then he just has a Heineken and watches some I think CNN and then heads off and he's like never to speak to any of them again that's Drake's life just cruising around the world um, yeah no it's not good The Remorse as well every time I got to that song as it did the kind of like soul sample thing that actually meant nothing to what was going on in the song and the kind of twinkling piano that just took an age to end it was interminable I was like I have to restart this album for the sake of the review I couldn't wait for it to end um, it's a 4 out of 10 for me um, after one listen on a run, that ended and I put on Come to Life, <laughs> not to keep harking on Donda, but um, that I think is an all-time Kanye song. Probably should have been the closer on that. And there's that amazing springsteen piano moment, which is totally different from the anonymous rubbish <laughs> at the end of Drake's record. And it's Tyler <laughs> playing it, which is like Tyler playing, you know, Tyler the fucking creator who hero worship Kanye and is now knocking like DJ Khaled made a Drake's off the top of the charts and is doing his quote unquote mysterious music. And just, I felt in that moment, like there's certain levels in terms of like, joyous raw creativity and doing at least the music for the right reasons and I still I don't feel Drake does um so it's a four out of ten for me because some production on us noise but it makes me almost want to bump Donda immediately from a seven up to an eight that's how much I didn't like this record uh, Skyfall by the way is the Bond film in question I've, I've been waiting about two and a half minutes to say it <laughs> so please put down your tweets listeners it's Skyfall and it's a good film thank you I enjoyed that one it is yeah and yeah. I guess I'll I enjoyed that review. I'm going to open the window again because I closed it because it's getting warm and, and things are about to things are about to hot up, Craig, for the top five. Why don't you take us into it while I while I open this window? Oh, they are about to hot up. Yeah. Um. So we're doing top five artists we don't quite get. Um, I am back. Was your suggestion? I think it should be an interesting one. 
we've we've kind of made an well I've I've certainly not included stuff like the doors just things that are kind of no encore mainstays I think there was a few artists you mentioned there which you probably are going to steer clear of just to kind of keep it fresh and there's a lot of you know fish to shoot in this barrel I do think I'm I'm more intrigued to hear your list than I was putting together my own because I feel like this might be more your territory like, I feel like if we ever do a top five artists, we give the benefit of the doubt to. That's good. I'm going to really come into my own. <laughs> that rolls off. We can do that next week. That rolls off the tongue. Um, I will say, um, I'm intrigued more to hear yours than mine. So, like, like this... Okay, um, will I kick off? But before you do, I will say that I echo what you say. I haven't picked Lord, yeah. for example, because it would just be fucking yet another shoeing for her. And I think, you know, we, we've done that. I've done that. No Beatles for me either, because it was just too obvious. I will say that, like, I think across... Like, like I, I did have... Like, I mean, like, this was one of those weeks where... Um, I didn't get to do like a ton of research on it. I kind of did my usual instinctual thing. Although I did dial up like, you know, I looked at like fucking all the Glastonbury lineups for the last whatever amount of years just for inspiration and being like, oh yeah, like what are they doing playing like a massive stage? Like like that's kind of what I want. I, like I've picked acts that are expressly popular um, and that's part of the kind of thing where I'm just like, you know, it's whatever act I've put in here, it's like, what's my appeal? Um, and I can understand the appeal of some of them. Like I thought about putting in Adele and I was like, that's just too contrarian for me because it's like first of all she's got a handful of very good songs but like there's just a Tesco music element to what she does that I was like what is the fucking I felt it would have been a bit too a bit too arch maybe so I didn't pick her but ultimately yeah it was like I found myself I find myself now with the top five that I'm actually pretty happy with and I think with the exception of one of them no real kind of repeat offenders here. Some of them are going to make their fucking debut on the show, I think. Um, but there is at oh. least one in my top five that I just could not return to. But it's been some time for that particular artist. Okay. We'll see how we go. But I'd love for you to kick off, Greg. Okay. Um, I also factored in, like, most of these acts have a level of critical acclaim as well. I just thought that might be an interesting spin on it to kind of... um limit my shortlist a little bit so yeah you said it was going to get hot in here it certainly is uh take it away adam <laughs> what <laughs> excuse me <laughs> this show is over yeah no that was a joke <laughs> they did not make it in i will say because i do i really enjoyed the last album i love the twin peaks stuff it's nice i'm yet, who, who, yet who to properly know. click yeah with a bit of closer <laughs> I, I was like i'll just give dave a heart attack um in fairness but I no, i'm was... still waiting for that playlist from you by the way Are... they, they've yet to fully oh, click yeah, but I, I admire them and like some of those did stuff. i promise you a 10 track nine nails playlist was it is that my limit? Yeah, but at some point it can be my Christmas present or no, something. No, 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 I'll do it before then. Um, I'll try and get on that this weekend. But uh, honestly, I, I kind of wish you had the courage of your convictions there, even though I know that you do like them, because I, I would have been like, well, let's let's have a half an hour on this. But instead, no, okay, yeah, you, you shocked <laughs> yeah, me, Yeah, because though. I get it. I get you it. You shocked me. Um, well done. Like, it takes a lot to shock my me, number five. you did it. <laughs> <laughs> my number five are kind of same territory where there's a level of respect, but I just, there's none of their music I enjoy. The things I like best about this band are their logo, and the fact that one of their former vocalists is a great raconteur. Here we go. Ride the pole, rise above, we're gonna rise above. Make this court, what we say. Rise above, we're gonna rise above. Try to stop, what we do. Rise above, we're gonna rise above. When they can't do it themselves. Rise above, we're gonna rise above. We are tired of your abuse. Try to stop us. Black flag. 
um, the much vaunted um, Saints that are Black Flag rise above there taken from their debut album Damaged and yeah lead singer Henry Rollins who uh, I find to be a super interesting guy kind of lives like a monk uh, but a monk with his own gym and um, a well-worn passport he isn't her only singer um, there was a few other ones they lasted for about a decade I think and they I guess they exemplify the straight edge movement in the US. Um, they are the band that always kind of, I immediately think of an almost violent anti-capitalist stance. I'm all for some of that for sure. Um, I think they maybe did a lot of good, but man, whenever I've tried, and they are a, a band that when you're kind of getting into the canon, that name is kind of like just floating there. I've really tried. I find the riffs totally uninspired. I think it's so just belligerent and like lacking in nuance. Um, and they're taking inspiration from punk stuff I love, but I think the punk I love has a certain amount of like impishness or just kind of, you know, romance or maybe femininity or something, tunefulness even. Like this feels to me like music as like an endurance sport. It's confrontational. Um, I don't really have room in my life for it every time I've tried. And yeah, they represent a whole group of bands. Like Bad Brains, I think, have one or two songs I like. I do like Ian McKay, just as a guy. Uh, Fugazi, I'm still not really into it. Like, um, At least they've kind of some bass lines you can make out. But um, the, yeah, Black Flag in particular just... You know the way some people have like synesthesia where they see colour, they see music as colours. This to me just like evokes... I see sweaty aggro men... Uh, who there's just no talking to. I see, I, I get like this, the scent of like stale sweat, chalk, punch-ups at like female free gigs in basements. And <laughs> I don't really understand a huge amount of those um, hardcore and like underground US bands from the 80s. Like the whole Our Band Could Be Your Life crew, apart from a Who's Do or a Replacements or so many of them just never clicked with me and Black Flag are the main ones. Did these guys do much for you, Dave? I don't think you talk about them too often. No, and I don't have the four bars tattooed on my upper forearm or anything or upper, upper forearm. <laughs> it's a great arm. logo. It is a great logo. And Henry Rollins is compelling. I mean, you know, he's probably as liable to say something problematic as he is profound, but you know, he's a compelling guy. Maybe, yeah. He's also in Heat, by the way. Fair play to him. Um, and Sons of Anarchy season two, if I recall correctly. Um, so yeah, a, ca- a capable actor. Uh, yeah, no, I never got into Black Flag. Um, it's weird. I mean, like, conv- uh, hang on. I, I, I opened the window and I'm pretty sure someone's fucking drilling outside or something. It, might, it may have been a band saw. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that. It, I think it's Black Flag still Maybe. Uh, I really love yeah. it. <laughs> some, some, oh God, I've just done a, this is just noise joke. Kill me now. I apologize to all fans of Black Flag. They're, they're fine. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like maybe it's just some like guy in his 40s in his garage just working out some some stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm more susceptible to this kind of thing. I mean, Converge's Jane Doe just turned fucking 20 there last weekend and it's my favorite record and that's like, you know, they're metalcore so it's like a mix of hardcore punk and a mix of metal, screamy, aggro and I have to imagine that Jacob Bannon was inspired by Henry Rollins. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't, but if he, you know, it would make sense to me from a sonic point of view. But no, I've never found myself at those gigs. Friends of mine have, for sure. Um, I feel like Royal Yellow, probably, when we talked to him a while ago, he said that he kind of grew up in like a DIY punk scene. So I have to imagine that like 
he's probably listening to this episode right now and being like, fuck sake, lads. But yeah, it's just, it, it didn't grab me. I've tried. A, it's almost too, like, this, and again, like, I, I'll match your bad criticism with one of my own. Um, It's almost too ramshackle. Like, it's almost too bad. Like, I, I, I thought about the Sex Pistols for this. I didn't pick them, but, you know, I, like, I thought about throwing them in. I, I need my... I need my layered aggression to be layered. You know, I, I need some nice production in there. I'm sorry. They're obviously massively influential. But I, and in fairness, I am speaking from a position of ignorance because I generally haven't sat down with a black flag record and who knows, could change my life. Obviously, it didn't work for you. But um, how about no. how about I change the complexion altogether, Craig? Um, with this with this list, I wanted to kind of have a bit, a bit, a bit of range if possible. So I, I, I could have had the same kind of style in here five times. You know, I thought about yeah. that terrible Mabel song that won't stop haunting me, the Celeste song that's on the fucking every time Sky Sports goes to an ad break um, I thought about Emma Sande, you know and how just wallpapery beige that kind of stuff is but then I thought who do I who do I associate that kind of just warbling boring cynical soulless content you know vocal gymnastics UK shit with the most and it's someone I actually interviewed before but forgot that I did <laughs> here she is everybody number five lovely person <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna It's Jess Glynn, uh, who I believe Forbes magazine described as one of the most influential people under 30 in 2019. Um, ostensibly a featured artist and, and one of her own for sure. She's on like that clean bandit song, Rather Be. I interviewed her back in the hot mm. press days and I don't remember a single thing about her apart from the fact that she was very boring. Um, I just find it to be baffling. I think she played Three Arena back in the pre-pandemic era. And I was like, how is that happening? Like, who's going to that show? Because this to me is just, and I want to be careful here because, you know, I think women, like whether it's podcasters, or whether it's musicians, you know, like you get dickheads on Twitter, always guys giving out about vocal fry and that kind of stuff. But there's, there is a certain element yeah. to how Jess Glynn conveys her vocals that I find to be nails on a chalkboard. You heard it there in the clip. Couple that with the kind of general shit, like watered down UK charge, tropicalia, trend chasing nonsense. I just find that there are many artists in pop music. I mean, we talked about girls that earlier on and like, surface level bangers for sure but I thought there was always a bit of substance there in fact quite a lot of it I do find and fair enough this could very well be like me in recent years transitioning out of listening to the radio you know like the charts etc and like you know man gets older the youthful music gets a little bit more who knows but this just sounds to me like if I walked into a fucking doctor's office tomorrow this is what I expect to be blaring out of a terrible radio making terrible music sound even worse it's soulless. It's nothing. I'm sure she's a lovely person. You know, she cited like all the greats in her influences, you know, like Sam Cooke, Aretha Franklin, Drake, Drake <laughs> you name it. Um, I just, I, I can never connect with this kind of stuff. And like I say, I have zero problem with manufactured stuff. She's not necessarily manufactured, but like, you know, I have zero problem with like things that are designed to sell. But Jesus Christ, there's nothing here. And it just drives me mental. I understand you completely. Um, it's acts like this that make me just... Angry is probably the wrong word. I'm just baffled how someone like a LaRue, who does kind of this thing, or certainly like had Tropicalia sounds and synth pop things, but like 
just does it in such a concise, intelligent, catchy way and just is not a huge star, is not having those radio hits. And I'm like, how does that work? Why is it like always the kind of bland thing? Is it just, I don't know, those common denominator stuff? I don't know. Uh, Clearly she means a lot to a lot of people. Um, And I know what you mean about the vocals, like on that clip. (laughs) She's almost doing like a yodeling thing. It's like a Hank Williams country thing. But I think she, every time I hear her, I think she uses that as a crutch where it's like it almost becomes the hook. And it actually reminds me most of like an Imagine Dragons. And this, you know, thing in pop, which has happened. I I blame Imagine Dragons. I blame Coldplay for playing along with it. I blame Mumford & Sons where you just do a kind of oh, oh, oh thing in place of like an actual substantive chorus. And it's a meaningless hook and it will get stuck in people's head, but it's nothing. There's no nourishment there. So yeah, good, good choice. Okay. Um, this one is like on paper. Okay. Black Flag should be like a starter band. Maybe my, my time has passed for them. This should be someone that I like. The more mature me should really be into this. Um, This one ticks a lot of boxes for music critics, for sure. Um, An artist that had a sensational breakthrough song that I just don't get. Um, Kind of actively load. Take it away. (laughs) And every morning we fly so red I miss them full of tears they shed But I'm actually good Can't help <laughs> Craig, you're a brave man. Why do you why do you cancel yourself there? Go on. Uh, it's Christine and the Queens, the beloved um Heloise, I believe is her um her actual name. That's Tilted, which was a very important song for a lot of people. And I was just looking around me as people Lost Her Minds too. I think it was the Jules Holland performance. And then I also saw it live at a festival and some people that I have a huge amount of respect for were having a great time, which I was very happy about. But just being like, this is a moment. This is, I can't believe she's doing this song. The dancing, it's so, it's just so nothing to me. <laughs> I, I I can't, I've tried with this. Um, and she's probably a lovely person. Um, it irks me a bit how venerated Christine and Queens has become because I think like even the name is just such like formulaic <laughs> identical stuff um, and I think that's all I hear in the music as well like I'm a sucker for 80s throwbacks and you know a bit of alt R&B meets pop um, there's been two albums of that now and I think an EP and just I go into you know every new release having seen reviews and expecting the world and thinking it's going to work and I just kind of get watered down Jesse Ware or like Bargain Basement Michael Jackson and it's stripped back an area to the point of just having nothing I can hold on to um, I think this it, it'd be fine it could just be something that like okay isn't for me but then a song like Tilted when, where it's just everywhere and for some reason it really rubs me the wrong way I think it's the lyrics obviously she's French so you know um, not her first language English but just that I am actually good thing just the way that's phrased somehow in this weird like repetitive faux profundity thing just irritates me and her latest big like track that was being heralded as a masterpiece was um people i've been sad which i also really hated because it just felt like i think from the title alone i was just like people i've been sad is such like 
declarative like tweet, isn't it? Like it's very, I don't know who, who needs to hear this, but here's my latest single or, you know, the drum beats could be like those clap emojis in between every single word of a tweet. It's just in that ballpark for me. And people I respect, lover, Alexis Petridis, my boy in The Guardian, gave the last record five stars. Um, my hopes were high. I was baffled yet again. I think she's great taste. I think she's great influences. I don't think there's anything new there. And it feels like really weird performative pop to me. And I don't think, I'm not saying that she's being insincere, but I, I sincerely think people don't really love her music that much because I can't. I'm, I'm baffled by it. Um, <laughs> it does nothing for me. I, I, I guess, do you know what I get off it? And it might be the kind of the dance stuff that goes along with it. I get big like theatre school kids vibes from it. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just kind of self-effacing on the surface, but it's just reeks of pretentious look at me stuff. It's just not for me. That's fair. I mean, like, I do think and it's funny because like I had a bit of a two week romance with Tilted when it came out. And I remember talking to you about it and being like, this song fucking rules. And you're like, I don't like it. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. It's weird, but isn't it? Yeah. I haven't heard it in so long because I did eventually have the turnaround. I think I, I think I turned around one day and I was like, fuck that song. <laughs> because there was because there was a lot of like people being like, oh, my God, have you have you seen the Tilted performance? It's it, it, it redefined music itself. I think people had like, yeah, it happens every now and then, like Future Islands and Letterman, like, you know, every now and then a performance will come along. And it's a great thing when it happens. People get caught up in a moment. Um, I haven't really stuck with Christina and the Queens too often. And I think, look, she does an awful lot for, for queer representation in particular in pop music and in music. Oh, and like, you, know, it's, you know, I, I root for it's, her. It's understandable why she would attract like an absolutely massive following. Um, and pop fans, of course, are probably going to scream that bit, that bit louder than, say, you know, a Black Flag fan, for example, Craig. Um, I saw her at Electric Picnic there, I guess the last festival, you know, before Electric Picnic went away forever. Um, and she came out during Charlie XCX's set to do their song Gone together. Um, she was good on that track. And I, that ruled, I think I like said that in was, the review. That, that yeah. was like a festival moment, even if Charlie XX would not stop calling uh, Strad Valley Dublin throughout her, her performance to the point where it became genuinely like, oh God, she's going to say it again. But that was a cool moment. Um, and they performed really well together. That's a great song. I think she, I think Christina and the Queens may have been on the main stage shortly afterwards, possibly. So she was literally like going from one to the other, which is a cool thing to do. Um, yeah, look, I get it. Um, it's... <laughs> I mean, is the problem, is your problem more with her and the group or is it more just the level of, uh, it, ta- it just taps into the Twitter based kind of mania of like, here's a good pop song or a good pop act, but you know, we love it. So we'll go fucking mental. And like that, that could be applied to acts I left out. Like I, I didn't include Lizzo, for example, cause I was just like, again, I mean like what, like, I, I see the appeal, but also when it gets amplified to such a degree and my old kind of bugbear of like people reviewing personality over art, I do think the art is here though. And apparently her most recent record was really fucking good, but I didn't actually get to it. So I'll, I'll refrain from commenting further, but I I, I, I gotta say, you may have you may have awoken the beast here. I may very well be returning to Tilted because I really enjoyed that clip. So, God, it just nails on a chalkboard. Well, me. look, uh, you know, certain people can't vibe with certain things. It's not for me. I wish her well. Yeah, Let's move I, on. I feel like I feel like we're gonna have at least five more times. I'm sure they're a great person. Like I'm sure we're gonna, like, we're, we're gonna qualify everything by just trying to be. I'm not. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, um, Craig, uh, I guess shortly before your pick came around there Craig gave Imagine Dragons a bit of a shoe in there let's do that again hey the
Dungeons and Dragons and the song is radioactive a song that feels simultaneously can't stand that song sorry sorry to cut across no, you I just had to let that out okay, a song that feels simultaneously designed to be played in gyms in changing rooms in Jack Jones uh, wrestling pay-per-view montage hype videos uh, you name it uh, it's Imagine Dragons everyone they're fucking massive um, I don't get it I must say I do not understand it and of course wasn't there a um, was it a Grammys performance of that song in which Kendrick Lamar did a live verse and it was unbelievable and it was like Kendrick what are you doing stay away from these guys uh, they're huge though uh, there was a tweet there a couple of years ago one of those ones that you're like oh man I wish I made that one where uh, there was a story I think it was Stereogum or Consequence of Sound and the headline was like whoever the singer of Imagine Dragons is uh and it was like, I really hope that like, you know, kids don't get bullied for listening to us or something. And some guy quoted it and was like, buddy, I've got some bad news for you. Because <laughs> I think Corey Taylor has like taken shots at them. I think Matty Healy has taken shots at them. They seem to be like the new Nickelback in terms has, of just like yeah. a, a, a acquiring derisiveness from within the industry's highest points as well. Um, but they're huge. I mean, like last year, Craig, uh, Concord Music Publishing acquired the catalog of the band. How... How how big of a money deal do you think this was? How much money did Concord Music Publishing pay to acquire the rights to the Imagine Dragons catalogue? Okay, I'm trying to remember what Dylan got recently. I think he got 200 million. I'm going to say... I want to say 100 million. You are correct. Uh, the deal exceeded oh, 100 okay. million, according to Music Business Worldwide. The band have sold uh, 35 million singles in the US and 20 million albums worldwide. And I just don't really understand it. I've never had a moment with it. I've never seen them live, whether it's at a festival or again, just hit them up in the three arena on a freebie or something. I guess I do understand the appeal. I mean, it's just very, you know, it's like I say, like it's, I think it's meant to be like this kind of weird endorphin rush or something, you know, like it's, it's like Bastille, but on steroids or something. And yeah, yeah it's not that they really bother me. I, cause I don't tune into it, but I don't even, I don't even get my traditional, oh, like, you know, it's, it's almost vaguely flirting with like what teenage day would listen to. It just seems to be so anodyne. Uh, what is it about them that really upsets you though? Um, I think it is that sense that every song is just like climax upon climax and that the stakes are really high and there's actually nothing there. I feel like it's doing too much to try to change my mood when it's on and I don't want it to. And I don't want it to be like, it, it, it's not wallpaper music. It's it's music that's like, every song seems written for a fucking superhero film. Do you know what I mean? And there's enough of those at the moment. Um, and I don't mean like great ones like Sunflower. Um, I wonder though with this band because uh, I've lashed out at them here and I must admit I've never stuck on an album. Maybe like the album tracks are really low key and like have great complexity and they do different things. I just assume it's like 15 of these though. Well, you want for, um, it might not be. You want for a sensitive Imagine Dragons ballad. I'm sure they have their big acoustic song in there, you know, here and there. But I've never done it either. I might... I might listen to an Imagine Dragons album tomorrow. Why not? Watch me go. <laughs> Torture yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, you do that. <laughs> I'll go on to my number three. Um, this might seem like an obvious one to some people. Because um, I thought at this point there was a consensus um, amongst, you know, music obsessives that this person was a bad influence on music. Um, but I think there's been a troubling turning of the tides. Um, you've recently featured him, I believe. 
I had to include him here. It's the granddaddy of divorce corps himself. I knew Take it. it away. I fucking knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, did you really have to pick one of his best songs? <laughs> it's not Prince's 1999. Um, it sounds an awful lot like it. I think if he released it these days, he'd there'd be a songwriting credit going to Prince. Um, it's Sue Studio by Phil Collins, a gigantic smash. Um, catchy gibberish, it's been described as, because <laughs> Sue Studio was just a made-up word. But he's like, I have to replace that, and then he never did. Like the Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire thing, I'm, I'm noticing a trend. It was the number one hit on the Billboard charts. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe what a monstrous success Phil Collins was in, in the 80s. Uh, he was 80s Drake, essentially, wasn't he? He just dominated that decade and was like... You know, he'd he'd done the Genesis thing. I like some of their early. I like some of their early stuff. <laughs> Peter Gabriel was some of them, and I do think they then went on to become a kind of pop band. They moved away from the proggy stuff, and they had massive hits as well as his solo career. And I do always put, align him alongside Peter Gabriel, who, of course, I adore, and I think is a saint artistically and just has really pushed boundaries. And he's got an amazing voice. And then you've got Phil doing his divorce core with that voice that just goes through me. You the word anodyne earlier and that is just like an anodyne wine to me like it's I think when I was very young I was traumatised by this I think like early 90s he was past his peak probably but like the radio stations were still playing him constantly and just any time one of his songs come on, comes on it reminds me of like really dark like school days like early school days when like like the smell of bleach or something like the kitchen's being cleaned it's like and his voice is like the sound of like a substance you would use to scrub the inside of an oven just grim (laughs) and dark and like (laughs) I don't (laughs) I I needed to say this because there's this worrying thing of like people getting back into Phil Collins there's an article in June on RTE's website where they did like a fucking I think it's called like brainwave or something but it's like a academic brainstorm yeah this is Jim Carroll Jim Carroll former guest of the show like he runs that website it's really interesting because it's like an academic kind of um dissection of various stuff uh, in music so this is actually really cool um and the analysis here is researchers have found the Phil Collins effect is responsible for the singer's newfound renaissance and just like people from the University of London and Sussex and stuff just giving their findings on it all. And I was just like, no. The headline is like, why Phil Collins is suddenly cool again. And I'm like, we had it right in the 90s. This was not good music. This is like <laughs> Reagan pop. This is Thatcher pop. It's uh, Thatcher pop's a bit much, Craig. Yeah, okay, well, maybe. I don't know. He seems like a bit, maybe he's not a th- Tory. He um, <laughs> probably is. I don't know. Do you know what? He probably is. <laughs> I, I love 80s production. I love a lot of that kind of stuff. But whenever I put his his, his albums on, and I've, again, like, I will try with artists. Um, it's so plasticky. The gated drums, I know, hugely influential. They don't, they work better on other people's um, albums. I don't like his sound. It's just very cold. Um, stuff like No Jacket Required. Just like humongous albums. And you just put them on and go, what is going on here? 
Like, what is going on? And I, I feel like this is a problem with music where everything doesn't have to have its day. There doesn't have to be like, we, we were so invested in nostalgia and tr- tr- stuff coming back around that we've gone through everything worthwhile. And now we're just like, do you know what? Westlife were actually great. Phil Collins was actually great. It's like, no, just leave it be. Let's all move on. This is not good music. Can I ask you to drill down? I, I don't think you, you're, you're welcome. Um, I, I, I don't think you coined this per se, but I do enjoy when you break it out. Can you break down the genre of divorce core and just why Phil Collins is the chief linchpin thereof? Yeah, so I feel like it's not just any record about uh, trouble in your marriage. I think it has to coincide with a midlife crisis that happens in the 80s. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think the artist in question has to be like, Phil a kind of, you know, Phil Collins are like a rocker that has had huge success in the 60s or 70s and is like hitting that midlife point and they're like shedding their wife or wives and they're upset about it and they get in the gated drums and the big synths and the super slick production for like the start of the CD era. And this is what they come up with. They come up with like, they are suddenly having chart hits again with this mopey stuff about how like they only see the kids on the weekend or whatever. It's again, very Drakean. Yeah. Um, look, listen, I, I, I think Cecilia is a banger. Uh, influenced by American Psycho, of course. I think In the Air Tonight is absolutely incredible. I don't, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a Phil Collins album. You know what I mean? I might add the best of Phil Collins to my weekend listening roster <laughs> oh my here. God, what a weekend you're going <laughs> to have. Imagine Dragons <laughs> followed by the best of Phil Collins. Uh, why not? But uh, Spirited Greg, I enjoyed that. I, I don't necessarily agree with you, but you, you made some very convincing arguments. He's probably going to go to jail for the rest of his life as a result of the crimes that he's committed in the eyes of Craig. The oven cleaner thing, I mean, that like, like like where do how do you do it sir uh for my number three okay let's have one of the biggest songs of all time It's Alanis Morissette, and uh, she sucks. Uh, it's ironic, so it is. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't get it. I never did. Obviously, she gave rise to a lot of singer-songwriters, and, you know, it was hugely influential, yada, 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 but fuck me. Probably a great person, yeah. Probably a great person. <laughs> I, I, probably has done a lot for charity. I don't know. But ultimately, I was watching that, um, I was watching that Woodstock 99 documentary there about a month ago, um, yeah. which isn't very good, and... Uh, also not very good their booking policy they had three <laughs> I, th- I think in total they had three female acts or female associated acts across the weekend one on each day <laughs> great job guys uh, I think it was the Cranberries Cheryl Crow and Alanis Morissette although Jewel was there as well so maybe it wasn't just three but it was certainly like very bad like like yeah. no, well imagine an attempt to promote gender equality on festivals as there wouldn't have been in 1999 at Woodstock 99 but there was a moment where like you know Alanis does your thing on set uh, on stage rather and I was just like oh god this is just the worst I was like I don't and flashbacks man like you talk about like your own kind of form of you know PTSD I mean like 
this was like Jagged Little Pill. That album was like proto White Ladder, proto David Gray, right? It was just like in every fucking Irish yeah, household. So. You couldn't escape it. It was. I think. I think we had a CD up and downstairs in my middle class abode in Drogheda back in the day, and I was just like, this is just warbling. Uh, nothingness. Uh, I think the song Ironic has obviously been parodied and kicked to death. I don't need to add too much fuel to that fire, but like, I feel like Alanis Morissette is very respected and very beloved. And I mean, why? I ask you, Craig, why? Didn't you do a horrendous cover of Seals Crazy? I love that song, but her cover was just I like... Ooh. I haven't had the pleasure. But she's um, huge, she's yeah, massive. Yeah, I always thought with her, it might be just the voice that I can't get past because I can't it just is it's 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 a lot I it does nothing for me the voice so I always felt that it's not going to work for me I'm just not going to try but maybe she's a terrific songwriter I'm sure like she obviously can write songs that really clicks with millions of people so but I've never Jagged Little Pill apart from the singles I've never stuck it on um obviously this is beyond the point of parody um as a song as you said you ought to know. Again, it's just very... It insists upon itself. <laughs> you, you, okay, you ought to know is a good song. I'll, I'll give her that. But yeah, it's is that, just... Is that, a, is that the song where there's a whole... Yeah, but isn't it like about someone famous? Probably. It's like a You're So Vain kind of thing where there's lots of... In the 90s, there was lots of rumours about like what actor it was about or something like that. Oh, wow. I feel like that was like the basis for an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where she tells Larry David. I can't remember now and I I can't... Are you mixing that up? Or or maybe that is correct? Maybe Maybe I am. Possibly, yeah. But I mean, like, like, listen, again, I'm sure she's a lovely person, but it's just the level of success. It's just like, really? Like, I mean, really? Like, Like, we haven't turned around and recognized that this was pretty bad no okay i i I feel like it's and again like maybe not her well it is her fault fuck it it is her fault like a legion (laughs) of coffee shop singers you know like just like rubbish yeah coffee shops are word yeah people carting a fucking acoustic guitar around at a festival wishy-washy like fucking just precious and so saccharine and just like really really just like heart on the sleeve crap you know just like rubbish not good Bad. I'm done. Okay, let's do my runner-up. Um, I tried to fight this one. Um, an album of theirs was included in my most overrated albums list. I felt like I had no major gripes with them until I started kind of re-listening and then kind of rereading stuff. And I, I think I've been biting my tongue and I'm going to say no more. Adam, bring on the horns. For me to try to explain How I'm feeling that my pride is the one to blame Cause I know I don't understand Wow, a man just determined to turn heel on this episode, Craig. Take it away. <laughs> Beyonce, Crazy in Love. Um, the horns, of course, being the best part of that song. Um I think it's the only outstanding thing about that song. Um, but that was the song, I think, that properly declared Beyonce as like a solo force away from Destiny's Child. Um, it was in that like Guardian's top uh, UK singles of all time. It ranked pretty high like last year or a year or two ago. And in the write-up, they were talking about those horns and the kind of dance force swagger and how 
it was a regal fanfare announcing her unstoppable ascent to the pop pantheon. And regal affair is like the kind of phrase that is thrown around so much with Beyonce and Jay-Z. And people have really adopted them as like US kind of royalty. They can do no wrong. They're not just people that release good music. Their performances are like record breaking. They also should be running, you know, um, huge nations. They should be, they should take over big tech apparently because they're just like godlike geniuses. And I feel like the beehive was it was kind of like the proto Swifty stuff. It was, it felt to me like the Beyonce fandom on social media was the very early start of that hardcore thing where fans just became kind of rabid and would attack people if they said anything bad about the artist, which of course is not really Beyonce's fault, but just, I don't get it. I totally understand that she is tremendously talented. There's a few of her songs I kind of like, like the self-titled album, I... I liked some of the like experimental stuff on that. I kind of admire some of the choices she makes. Like when Form- Formation came out and you've got that like springboard sparse beat. It's like, yep, yeah, that's cool. Um, never going to play it again. And it's just also calculated, like just herself and Jay-Z, the whole Lemonade 444 thing. It was just like playing the game perfectly. Um, and I think the, the biggest crime here is that she is an absolute megastar. She is like held up there as this generation's Diana Ross or, you know, she, Madonna. And if you look through her, we talk about Girls Aloud's singles catalogue. If you look through Beyonce's quote-unquote greatest hits, I don't think the songs are really there. I really don't think her, like, discography stacks up in terms of pure pop anthems against people that are rated a lot lower than her, um... I just feel like Halo, Sweet Dreams, um, Deja Vu, Drunken Love. These are not top tier bop songs. I don't know why she has that billing. And again, like, you know, kind of the whole dancing um, live show part of things isn't something I really understand or it doesn't do anything for me. So when people lose their minds about Super Bowl performances where she's clearly doing like amazing work, I'm just, that leaves me cold anyway. So I can't really rate on that. And then it's just, yeah, this thing of her, you know, I don't know, say to Beyonce, but then you hear stories about how like her clothing line is, you know, stuff is being manufactured and people aren't getting paid properly in third world countries. And there's the Carter's album where, you know, she she performs Jay-Z's written raps quite well and people are just immediately like, she could be the best rapper in the world. And I just like, <laughs> please stop it. She's tremendously talented, but she's not top tier for me. I don't get the adulation to that degree. Well, Craig, it's because she's quote unquote everything. And oh, yeah. yeah, the Bayhive may very well have a lot to do with this. And it is, you know, it's maybe like the most, I guess, like landmark kind of example of the personality over the art thing because she's clearly a fucking superstar there's no question you know she has all of the tools and you know obviously is a fierce performer uh is incredibly good at what she does but i think what she does it doesn't it doesn't communicate with me i think on a musical level although i do think crazy love is incredible i mean like you know i I think there's morgan on than just the horns i'll 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 pull you up on that one but uh yeah no i mean like at the risk of you know 
um, you know, repeating ourselves or whatever. Like it's, it's not even that there's any kind of, I think, negativity or animosity towards Beyonce. It's just a, a, a curious lack of interest. I, I, even like at Oxygen and I think it was 2011, um, back in the hot press days. Um, and again, like, don't get me wrong. I'm aware that this is the most fucking mediocre white man statement of all time. But like, I went to see the national while Beyonce was on, <laughs> on the other side of the, of the concourse. And she had like, the national had a very small crowd that, that, that evening. I believe Beyonce um, played to like the vast majority of all the punters there. And look, she's a force in nature. She's a she's a legitimate phenomenon, um, kind of I suppose a crossover star. You know, like she's an actress and she's got documentaries about her. And it's a production. She's a production. She might as well have a fucking trademark next to her name. And uh, well, she was, you know, she but had. Yeah, but musically, musically, it just I, like I, I've never felt compelled. Yeah. Like her parents clearly were quite fame hungry and from like the age of six or seven, she was going to these talent shows and it's just, that's been her entire life and obviously huge amounts of dedication. I've got, there's a mug downstairs that has the, you know, you have the same amount of hours and days Beyonce. I hate that shit so much. And every time I see it, I'm just like, yeah, she does accomplish quite a lot in fairness to her. But... That that drive of just being, you know, going to ton shows from such an age and trying to kind of make it and just being so dead-eyed about, like, I'm going to be absolutely massive, that's taken her a huge amount of the way. I think maybe it just means in terms of the artistry, there's something lacking, I think, in the music to me, I think, in terms of empathy. And I find it weird that she's seen as this, like, comrade or, like, you know socialists on Twitter are like love Beyonce when she is clearly the most like capitalist just like American dream work 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 is the key message I mean this is Reagan pop and yeah I'll say no more I like some of her songs <laughs> alright well for my runner up this week uh, let's have an American dreamer and his band strong from the moon Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, on the go since 91. It's Dave Matthews Band. And yeah. the song there you heard is Satellite. Um, maybe exclusively an American phenomenon. I mean, like, I will say that, like, uh, to harken back to my extravision days and to throw in another Dave confession, I went through a bit of a phase, Craig. I went through a mild Dave Matthews phase. I worked with a guy who was fucking obsessed with Dave Matthews Band, would play play them in the shop and made me like a CD or whatever. And for about, I want to say, like a hazy summer, I convinced myself it was good. Uh, it isn't. <laughs> and I guess I mentioned, you know, I, I, I took some shots at Lance Morris out there for inspiring kind of coffee shop crap. And I got to feel this is up there as well. Again, but coffee shops I've never been to. I guess I'm imagining a version of New York that I've seen in all the TV shows and the movies. But the Dave Matthews Band thing, because again, big phenomenon, big band. <clears throat> I feel like, you know, it translates over here to a degree. I'm sure that he slash they could come over and play a three arena show. But... I don't know, it just feels like the American Coronas or something. There's just a weird college bro 90s episode of Felicity imagery or something that I just associate this with. And again, it's it it's just kind of baffling. Yeah, 
there's yeah definite frat vibes to it but I don't know because they're not they're not really going for hits I think I don't know too much about them but they're they're quite like jazz influenced as well and they're kind of their own weird thing right they're like a big gigantic cult act and they're they seem to be kind of touring constantly huge in America actually really good friend of mine who is not hugely into music has been into Dave Matthews band since we were like 12 or 13 and they're like <laughs> one of the few acts he's into he was into Green Day at the time and no longer listens to them but he's still like he's still into Dave Matthews and I'm not sure maybe at an uncle in America or something I'm just like it seems like a weird connection to make yeah not big here I do remember there was I believe it was Q Magazine they did a feature where Dave Matthews was, was like coming over for European shows or whatever and it was quite good. They got Dave Matthews to like stand outside the tube with a guitar for like the day and play and songs. And they just did a whole thing of see if anyone recognized yeah. them. And like there was lots of great shots of just like people wandering up to him and like gurning and being like, who's this guy? And uh, he came across very well in the article. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for him just because like took it on the chin and it was good and he seemed like a, a decent dude. Um, but I've never been inclined to go to the music You'll hear kind of clips of, you know, stuff like that. Spruce between and just... <laughs> it's kind of a Ronan Keating cadence to his voice as well. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. And, for me, though Rollercoaster's a banger, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, inarguable. But also, in fairness, it, like, it's not... I don't find them hateful or anything. And like I say, yeah, I, had, it's just I had that baffling. moment. But, like, but they're, they're pretty fucking big. Like, Satellite there on Spotify, 34 million plays. Crash into me, 154 million plays, almost 156, 155, rather. Um, yeah, it's just like... They seem to be like one of the world's, as you said, like like one of the world's biggest cult acts where it's like there's a cult following, you're kind of in, it's kind of like a Pearl Jam thing. Obviously, they're a bit more mainstream worldwide, I guess. But there seems to be like, you know, it's like the Dave Matthews Band Army or something. And yeah, I mean, like maybe, yeah, maybe like I'm not even like saying, and I don't think any of us are really saying that like, unless you've explicitly said it, but like these selections aren't always bad. And I mean, like ultimately, like, you know, know. they're trying something different, you know, it's a bit of jazz fusion, but also, you know, oh, I don't know, it's it's a bit naff. Like, like it, it's kind of unavoidably enough in that kind of oversized jumper frat boy way or something. Yeah, I might be wrong, but I feel like they're so big touring wise because they're something of a jam band. I feel like a lot of like musos might be into being like, not quite a Grateful Dead thing, but being like, oh, did you check out the version of this song that they played last November in Connecticut? It's just great. There's this amazing, you know, acoustic guitar solo for 10 minutes. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like they lean into that sometimes and just people that are very serious about the craft of music might like them. That could be um, us, Greg. There could be like a parallel universe American now encore in which that we follow them around on tour like fucking Liam Neeson's daughter in Taken, you know. But look, that's my number two. What's your number one? Okay, my number one. Um, so, Steely Dan, Yacht Rock, even the 1975. There's been a lot of music in recent years that I've like reevaluated and like properly dove into into the catalogue and found like treasures there. And with this act, I've actually tried for a number of years, and every time I think it's going to be different, and I'm going to find something interesting in the catalogue, and then I get into it, and I'm just like, I can't believe this band were. Maybe the biggest band in the world for a period. Um, I can't believe they got away with it. And, you know, members of the band are still on the loose. There you go.
message in a bottle led by Sting, um, as he is called. Bloke from the north of England called Gordon deciding that he's going to be called Sting. <laughs> Red flag right there. And yeah, lineup completed by um, Andy Summers, I believe, who's a good guitarist, nice guy probably, Stuart Copeland, who apparently is like an insane percussionist. Um, he's highly respected, but I don't think the percussion saves any of these tracks. And I have tried with a lot of these tracks because, again, I know people that like The Police, they were massive. So much so that, like, people talk about that moment at, like, Live Aid where The Police are playing and then they leave the stage. And I think they give, like, you two their instruments or something. And it felt like a kind of, you know, passing off the baton of, like, you're now going to be the biggest band in the world. That's how massive The Police were. And at that stage, they just, like, hated each other and were ready to split up. Um, they sold over 75 million records, one of the best-selling bands of all time. And like critically acclaimed albums, they feature in lots of those kind of like pitchfork best albums of the 80s. Uh, you get a synchronicity there, obviously Rolling Stones things. And I've got, I've gone into the albums. It's really tough to get, try and get into them because if you try and look at like fan sites or people that are into the police and figure out a starting point, they will invariably go, all the albums are great. So you end up just like flitting about and they're all called stuff like... Um, well, there's synchronicity in like Ghost in the Machine, but there's also the first three are called stuff like Zenyatta Mondata and like Outlandus Damor and like Regatta de Blanc. And it's just like they said themselves, these terms mean nothing. It sounds like stuff that like Sting would say in a wine bar in the 80s to try and like chat up a divorcee or something. And it's white reggae. I haven't even got to that yet. All of their big hits are like this weird take on reggae, this like watered down, I am, because they're quite a strange band, right? Outside of Walking on the Moon, which I do quite like because it's haunting and weird enough not to be scuppered by like Sting's inane lyrics where he's like going on about, I hope my leg doesn't break walking on the moon. But apart from that, I found quite a lot of their music to be baffling and awkward and they will occasionally have a good chorus, but they never do a good verse with the chorus and vice versa. And Sting, I mean, we can get onto Sting, but we could do a whole other podcast. I just, that guy <laughs> gives me douche chills. I don't know. Stingcast, yeah. Um, so recently we did our drumming songs episode. I made like a mega playlist on there and, you know, I got yeah. like lots of suggestions on Twitter and that's kind of where I where i took like a lot of the stuff from uh the playlist by the way is available on my twitter account at henry dave or quicker and easier patreon.com slash no encore if you want to pick it up it's a good playlist um someone did suggest a sting song and i can't remember if i threw it in but i felt allergic and i'm sure it probably is great but i was like oh really sting i was like if i include this in the playlist it kills the playlist you know <laughs> it's like oh no such a conflict um yeah i thought about this i thought about the police i thought about throwing them in um i didn't have too strong opinions on it but it is baffling and i always associate them with like just creepy shit you know just creepy songs weird if you're sorry if you're saying like fuck you've kind of you've kind of hinted at it there but like whatever about phil collins being divorce core come on man phil collins yeah he might be playing the piano in the background when sting's working his magic there but like like just like englishman in new york and this kind of shit like i mean like really well listen one of the police's songs like Sting, before they got big, was a teacher, I believe. 
And one of their music videos is like him as a teacher and all of these like teenage girls being in love with him. And like he clearly came up with the concept for that. And I'm just like, you're not Indiana Jones, mate. Um, (laughs) Yeah, from there, like the kind of tantric sex and the loot music was just inevitable. Um, I think he was the blueprint for Johnny Burrell. Um, and I much prefer Johnny Burrell's output. Um, but I think that that is the blueprint, particularly in how, like, I think on, like, every breath you take, um, the band helped him write that. And he just put himself down as the songwriter. And that's, like, part of the falling out. And um, there was a whole falling out, like, in interviews where, <laughs> like, the other two members were like, we co-wrote it. And um, why aren't we credited on it? And he, like, said in an interview... Listen, life's fucking tough. Here I am in Tuscany, basically like, fuck you. He's just such a weird, pompous dude. And um, yeah, for that reason, defund the police. Oh, nice. You've been sitting on that one all week, I assume. Very, very nicely done. You got it in. Okay, right. Number one for me. Um, I said I I didn't really have a lot of repeats, but uh, it has been some time. Uh, Yeah, come on. Like, this is, it has to be the number one artist that I just do not get. Take it away. And I could cry Uh, you it did it. Is, <laughs> it is really good guy. Really good guy. <laughs> Great guy. Great. I, I hear nothing but good things. It is, of course, our beloved forest king, the bard of the risen people himself, Andrew Hozier Burn Hozier. Uh, a song you heard there was Nina Cried Power. It was the lead single off his second record, Wasteland Baby. Um, when that song came out, and I want to encourage any listeners to the show who may not have heard some of our earlier episodes, it's, it was two years almost, sorry, three years almost to the day. Uh, if you go back into the Encore feed and look up episode number 132, it's called New World Order. And it was an episode in which we were feeling very happy with ourselves because Dahi had signed up to the show full time. Cullen was still with us. It was a four man wrecking crew. And we yeah. spend the first, I think, 20 minutes of the show absolutely burying <laughs> Nina Cried Power because it's baffling. And like going back to it to, to, to like pull that audio, I want to remind everybody that in the video for this song, you have a host of activists and, you know, general people who do good things in the world. And they're in a room. It looks like an Apple commercial. They've headphones on. Hozier does as well. And they're all looking very solemn and sad and inspired and emotional. And it's all very devastating and dramatic. And what they're listening to on the headphones in the video is, in fact, Nina Cried Power. <laughs> Hozier is like, I am giving myself to you. This is how how, how solemn and, and poetic and, and, and incredible I am. Even though the vast majority of my music is just me pilfering from, you know, Black American Roots music and soul and gospel. And, you know, again, I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but all I've ever heard with this guy is just a fucking privileged, rich white kid who makes really, really dull fucking music and is massive and is beloved and is hailed around the world and has a very weird cult-like fan base of his own. Um, I mean, I get it in the sense that, like, he's very vocally impressive and I think Take Me to Church is still a great song, even if the related video has nothing to do with the song and it's made by a friend of ours so I'm not even attacking the video I'm just saying but like yeah I mean it, it's I, I like I, we we try 
we try to give every artist their fair shake. But even like we reviewed Wasteland Baby in the company of our friend Dean Ruxton, who summed it up very nicely at the end of it when he was like, you know, oh, you can see him, you can see like, you know, like like the the what he could do, the artist he could be. And it's like, he's like, no, I've got like, it's like you're like, come back. And I think Dean was like, no, I've got huge tunes to make. And it's just like, there's just something so artificial and cynical about what he does and how he does it. Again, I'm sure his heart's in the right place. I'm sure the fan base are genuinely great people. I'm sure everyone involved is trying to better, you know, music and activism and societal whatever but i just would rather listen to a, a car alarm going off for an hour like, like, like i just i'm shocked at just how lifeless it is i mean i was considering comparing him to chris de berg and then i was like well actually i've had to listen to some chris de berg albums for this show in the past and they were a lot more enjoyable than this um it's 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 soul sucking like like it genuinely just like upsets me and makes me tired and again you know look but nothing personal. I'm sure he's the coolest, soundest, greatest guy of all time. I'm just completely perplexed by the appeal. Yeah, I want to distance myself from Dave's comments. And um, <laughs> I think he's fine. I just, I I understand the fandom because I think he kind of creates that universe of music. And it's just, it's kind of, as you say, it's like that blues music that... Um, I was probably into artists like him at a certain point, but I've had my fill and now I'll just go to um, the originals maybe, or it's seldom I go to straight blues. So it's just, it just feels a little perfunctory to me, but he's a great performer. Who do you think is going to get the biggest reaction from the listeners in terms of like, (laughs) do you reckon the Hosier fans are going to come for us first? Is it probably... Seen in the Queens, maybe. Uh, I think we'll be. I think we'll be okay. Seems like, like a chip we're, shot. We're, yeah. Like we're a cult offering of our own. I mean, like we are. I hope I didn't sound too invectivized there because, like, I really don't. I don't hate the guy. I don't dislike the guy. I've said, I've always made the crack that I'm like, I'd interview him tomorrow, which of course, because it'll never fucking happen because all it will take is someone to just isolate the audio here and be like, this guy is a fucking weird. But it's just like, I, I'm, I, I, it goes back to another thing where it's like, I'm sorry, but like we're too guilty in this country and maybe I'm guilty of it as well, but we're too guilty in this country of not criticizing our own art sometimes. And there is this kind of weirdly widely, widely accepted kind of parlance that like Hozier's just un- unbelievable and everything he does is incredible. And well, I mean, like we're so lucky to have him. And like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to like in any way like harm the man's career but I those two albums to me are pain they're just painful to listen to they're torturous <laughs> I, I'm, I'm shocked that people get enjoyment out of his music live show never seen him live maybe he's incredible he seems to pretty good have live. a good band and like you know do good things and whatever it's just it's just not it's just not for me and I've accepted that and that's fine I don't have to listen to it it's it's okay but my god I mean, really, really. Okay. And on that note. <laughs> and on that note. Yes, really. We've made it. Far we side of the top yeah. five. And again, to clarify, artists that we don't get, we appreciate that someone else does get them. We're not trying to fucking. We're not if trying you to, like, love the stuff we've talked down. about, that's brilliant. I'm very happy for you. Like, genuinely. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Like, this music is, like, is there to be a positive thing. And, of course. And actually, I will say. Um, Drake's a little cynical but anyone that kind of releases stuff and has the courage to be like I'll put it out in the world and like let it be criticised I'm you know delighted that people do that make crap art as um who was the critic that said it recently but it was quite a stirring thing of just like don't care just do the thing be creative go for it and yeah 
yeah, that's what I will say. Like, I'm, 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 I can guarantee you that there are people out there who who can't stand this show, and that's fine. Like, I mean, like, the, yeah. like there's there's lots of sometimes stuff. I can't. <laughs> Me as well. Uh, there's there, there's there you know there's, there's all kinds of art in the world. Not everyone's going to agree on everything. We could have picked ten other artists. Like, they're, they're the ten that came to mind this week. And it's not about being like, hey, if you love if you love Hozier, fucking great. Like, believe me, I'm not going to try and stop you. I'm not going to try and get in your way, no matter who it is. And like, I disagree with some of Craig's choices. He probably disagreed with some of mine. That's the nature of debate. And that's no encore for another week. One thing we can all agree on, though, something that is a shining light in the world, someone that we all love. And I, I can't imagine anyone who couldn't is Sonic Architect Adam, who has steered the yes. ship for us this week. What a beautiful, beautiful man he is. And uh, to all our beautiful listeners and our patrons, of course, patreon.com slash noencore, if you would like to help support the show. And uh, Hozier, welcome on the show anytime. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore, and we'll be back next week. Good luck. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.